There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today we react to the FA Cup third round with so many big stories. Manchester City thrashed Chelsea, but does the Chelsea boss Graham Potter understand the pressure that he's under? Stevenage got a giant killing at Aston Villa. There was a massive win for Wrexham at Coventry. We'll talk about the strength of the non-league sides during round three. Whether Newcastle and Eddie Howe in particular take the FA Cup seriously enough. Wins for Blackpool and Burnley in the championship and whether the law is an ass at Anfield. All that and more on this episode of The Game. Hello and welcome back to The Game podcast. We're all together in one room. Myself, Hugh Wisencroft, Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino and Gregor Robertson reacting to the FA Cup third round. Tony, very quickly, general overlook... How great is the FA Cup third round? Apparently, you're not allowed to say anything negative about it. Doesn't matter where you are in the media. Um, I, I love the weekend. For there you me. go. See, we've paid. No, no, that. no, no. It was a look. It was a typical weekend where a number number of underdogs, you know, took on the Premier League boys, and some of them got a bloody nose. And that's what the FA Cup's all about. So, and and there's one big thing about the FA Cup that I've always really enjoyed is you get a really huge away following. You know, you have like yeah. Portsmouth take like 9,000 to the Tottenham Stadium and, and many others. And, and that part of me, that's proper old school football. So, yes, Casanoras likes old uh, school football. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to say, yeah, I mean, VAR was involved, obviously. Many of you seem quite heavily involved. EFL Cup games that I've been to this season with no VAR have been I think extra special just get a little glimpse into what football used to be like and actually celebrating when the ball hits the back of the net etc etc so I was kind of like I was watching this weekend and I was like I reckon they should just get rid of it in the FA Cup (laughs) because so many teams in the FA Cup don't use it regularly I think there's a very strong case for no VAR in the FA Cup you can't I, I really don't know what legal team decided it was correct you can have the same round of a competition where VAR is used in some games and not others. Mm-hmm. That is wrong. Mm-hmm. That means the competition... Because the whole point of competitions is you have a set of rules like um, players that are eligible or not eligible and that applies to all teams. Mm. You have to register in time and that sort of thing. If some ties have access to VAR and some ties in the mm. same competition at the same point of the competition do not have VAR, that is, mm. not, a not, that is not the same... Comp- you're not participating in the same competition. Okay, can I ask you one quick question on that, Al? Because no, you, you might no. know the answer. At Wimbledon, do they have Hawkeye at every level? Yeah, I at think the, so. Of, of, uh, yeah, even on not court every, 16. I don't know about every level, but... I, I'm talking about every court then. Every court, yeah, 16, yeah, yeah, 15. Yeah. So, so on every level, in on the courts that are being played. Yeah, if, you, if you're playing... If you're yeah. playing you're opening round that's game the same at competition. It doesn't matter whether you're on centre court or not. Hawkeye's yeah. on yeah. every. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's a fair point because that's um, something you I didn't just... think that was going to be the answer, did you? <laughs> I, I love the answer because I agree that 
you know, how can you have a competition with two no, sets of rules? Yeah, yeah. as the, us rugby league fans, you know, would, you know, got, we've got used to it over the years, but essentially games that were on broadcasted on television, they would always have the, the video referee, if you like, yeah. but that was always the best teams. They were always on TV regularly and they would always actually have that extra layer of being able to see if their try was given or not. And I just think it skewed the competition. You know, it was great for the broadcasters, but it skewed the competition slightly. Watching this weekend, I just thought, what's the point? No VAR at every game in the third round would have been totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the action. Um, if you're a Chelsea fan, you can turn away now, I guess. Uh, Manchester City strolling past Chelsea, four goals to nil in the third round. Uh, it was their second meeting in under 72 hours. After a hard-fought defeat, if you like, for Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, I think everyone thought they were pretty much in the game and it wasn't one of their worst showings of recent times. Well, they weren't in the game this time around at the Etihad. 3-0 down before half-time. And, of course, that adds big, big pressure to the Chelsea boss, Graham Potter. Um, how bad a performance, Tony, your former club, um, was it from them? Because I, I thought they were mitigating circumstances. But if you look at the reaction of fans, you look at the reaction of the media, you would think that, Chelsea have been playing, you know, all of their superstars, their best choice team in every single match. It's it's mm. it's a tough period, Chelsea or, or any other team. It's a tough period when you've got that many injuries. Yeah, you looked at the lineup. Yeah, I looked at the lineup. Pretty decent though, still good players. Yeah, though. well, you look at the back. Yeah, it's Manchester City though, so you look at the uh, okay, no even... De Bruyne and no Haaland. Yeah, but I mean, the rest of the well, players are pretty good. There's a lot good. of buts in this. <laughs> the rest of the players at Manchester City are pretty good. You miss Erling yes, Haaland, you so miss Ke Kevin the... De Bruyne. It doesn't fall off a cliff. But you're looking at Chelsea's right. lineup. All right. I mean, the back four <laughs> had... Jorginho in midfield. Yeah, but the back four... Listen, you're taking on Manchester City, so you need Good a good... If you're going to get a result, you need to defend yeah. well. You've got Humphreys in there, Hall, Shalaba in the back four, and Shalaba playing right back out of position as well. It's not going to be easy. You know, yeah. you're away from home. What are you... Well, all right. Let, what, oh, no. Okay, okay. Looking at the two lineups, Tony, what did you expect Chelsea's performance to be like? Not that. Not that, not a four-year, four-nil hammering. Stevenage went and won at Aston Villa, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on a bit later, with a lot less calibre of player than Chelsea. Okay, Man City are a special team, we know. No Haaland, no De Bruyne. There's look, there's one flawed thing that I really don't get with Graham Potter and the style of Chelsea's. Chelsea's forwards play like defenders, and their defenders play like forwards. So they get on the ball in defence and they keep playing it around, trying to get into positions of danger all through the back and out. So they're trying to play out. OK, that's the style of play. But Chelsea's forwards are all defending. So every time the ball went forward, they end up defending because they're all isolated. And to me, that it only changed late in the game when he made loads of substitutions and added more forward players on and Chelsea got into the game. I, I just don't... Look, I know Brozier's into it. I know they've lost Lukaku, uh, Timo Werner, Obama Yang's not available for this particular game. So they're, they're, they're strikers that were expected to do way better than they have. But the style of play is flawed because they... How many games now has Graham Potter had at Chelsea? 18. I'll tell you that, Emily. He's had 18. In that, in in them, them games, there's been a lot of defeats, a lot of poor performances, and I think they've got something like 21, 22 goals in them 18 games. Mm -hmm. It's Chelsea Football Club. Even young lads coming in should be good enough to wear the Chelsea shirt. And yes, it's a weakened team, but the way they were beaten and taken apart, there was a period in the game, and especially in the first half, that it felt like Leeds United versus Southampton many, many moons ago. It was keep ball. And they just, they were always late. Every challenge was late. And no one made a challenge. Actually, I'd say make challenge because they never actually got there. They were always late getting to where they're meant to be. 
Now, that's that's not technical issues. That's actually, you're late. You know, if you, and you know, being late, you. <laughs> For those of you uh, not getting that joke, I was severely delayed, shall we say, uh, again. this morning's podcast. Yes, again, not for the so first time. There's my, there's my point. And, look, and can I just say one final point? It's really important, this. Graham Potter comes on post-match and says, you know, I know the media are looking at scapegoats and newspapers, articles and blah, 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 make changes and, you know, who's responsible? He said, I'm not going to do that. That's a manager's job. Manager's jobs are to make scapegoats. He makes changes when he has a bad performance from a player. That's your job, to drop people. You know, that is a big part. Greg has played football. He's come in, he faces managers. They're always making decisions. So he's complaining about the newspapers and media and radio all saying, oh, it's this fault, it's their fault. Well, when you're a manager, you have to point the finger at certain people. At times. Yeah, but you don't have to come out in your interview. No, you don't have to say who. Yeah. But you're always making that decision. So what he's denying the right of the media to say that. But he's actually, that's his job to do that. Okay. Greg. Is that fair, Greg? Oh, no. Yeah, no, it is. But look, I just thought it was bold. It's a bold back four. Mm. I mean, when you're leaving Silva, Aspilicueta, Cucurella uh, on the bench. Like, either he doesn't think he's getting into dangerous territory or he doesn't realise it. Yeah, it's one of those two, and I think he doesn't think he thinks he's going to be backed. And but we said before, we said in the last podcast, this is a big week. He's got you know two games that that could define his trajectory now because as we saw, supporters were chanting yeah. uh, for for yeah. Thomas Tuchel in the stand. Like they've started to turn. They didn't they hadn't, didn't turn against City in the, on Thursday night um, because as you say, there was a bit more life and sort of. It was it was fine margins really. Although City were the better team by far in the second half, it wasn't like this. But this was always sort of in danger of being the kind of reaction if they went down to a heavy defeat and and to play a a kind of inexperienced and out of, out of sorts back back four like that was mm. was madness in my view. So, um, but all the things Tony said are true as well. Like from with regards to watching them trying to play at the back, kind of so dogmatically with. You know, and then when when the ball goes forward, not really a great deal happening, not a great deal of support because they're playing so deep in their own half. It's madness, you know. It, you kind of the thing that always pops up in my mind when you see when you have these debates about you know teams playing out from the back like this. There was a I remember a conversation between Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher about it ages ago, and they were saying Gary Neville was saying managers got to stick to his principles, or else the players will not will not like will not stay with them. If Eric Ten Hag hadn't changed the way that Man United started the season, he probably wouldn't be in a job now. And Graham Potter has to realise that this is Chelsea now. And this is not their biggest issue. Their biggest issue is scoring goals. They can't score goals. Mm. But sometimes it was suicidal football at the back. I found it fascinating watching, actually. There was a lot of very risky passing around at the back, which I don't know as a manager what you're trying... Why you do? Why are you encouraging that against a team like City? A team like... he. He had some sort of coaching point to prove about how we have a principle about being good at passing. Also, I don't know what it was. Mm. It was very strange. But but also, the I wrote a column on Sunday and it had nothing to do with the FA Cup. My column was about how fans shouldn't be always uh, screaming for big money to be spent. Actually, what they should be screaming for is um, work rate from their team. If you look at the clubs that are selling at the moment above and beyond what we'd expect, they're doing it from graft, not from having... They have no big players. You know, Brentford's record signing cost 16 million and he's not playing. They're doing well because of effort. And this was 
an example, which, which I wasn't expecting to back up my point, was there was no effort. You touched upon it, Tony. There was no effort from Chelsea. And the body language of some of their star players was really odd. So Kovacic, I'm a huge fan of Kovacic. Um, I thought he was, you know, had an excellent World Cup campaign. And did you notice he played more minutes for his country than he does for his club and he mm. seemed to be prepared to keep going and he looked as fresh at 90 minutes as he did in the first minute. He's never quite done that for Chelsea. So I think he's obviously a player you need to manage the you know his own set sense of what he can give physically to a match. I have never seen him and I admire him and I have never and I often watch him closely because I admire him. I've never seen him look so disinterested and annoyed by the team. He, mm. It was like he couldn't be bothered. I don't, I don't, I don't it's like you're saying, this is slightly beneath me. The way we're set up here, I can't I can't do much in this team. So he's he's he did a couple of nice things, but mostly his body language is bad. Kai Havertz looks like he wants to go off and be a concert pianist and does not <laughs> does not want to be playing football. The, the, and and he's again, because they score so few goals, someone like Havertz, who clearly has talent, seems to me a player you have to I mean he didn't do that with Neil Mopay at Brighton. I mean he you know Getting strikers to have that hunger and confidence, so like you know, someone like Haaland can like n- never touch the ball, but the one time he does, he'll score. Mm. There's something about managing how that works in your team and with the individual as well. I don't get the impression. I mean, Havertz again looked like someone who wasn't just wasn't having a good time. And if it's and, that, and this shouldn't be happening so early in a new manager's tenure, especially one appointed in the way he was. Let's remember it's a new, you know it's a new regime with a, it's a new start in many ways because we all know what would have happened if Abramovich was still in charge he'd have gone been gone by now because mm. I can I'm pretty sure that a lot of players aren't happy as soon as the players weren't happy Abramovich got rid of a manager that's not going to happen here this is a new regime they don't do that anymore well that's what I'm hoping that's what I'm mm. hoping I'm hoping that Todd Bowley is is different obviously he got rid of Thomas Tuchel after 100 days which for many fans was a, a signifier that Chelsea hasn't isn't going to change that much but the recruitment of you know so many now I don't know what we're up to eight or nine of the probably the best young talents that they could find Chelsea I think is an important uh, step for the club um, those players already getting opportunities to play I think it's quite important as well because I think a lot of us thought their players for two or three years from now and some of them already getting opportunities to play even seeing Fafana on the pitch although there's reports that there's a debate between his old club and his current club over where he should be right now but I wasn't expecting to see him in a Chelsea shirt for a while I thought this is a young kid that's going to be out on the training pitch for a year might go on loan you know to see him in the FA Cup against Manchester City of all teams was kind of but isn't that making making Chelsea look like some sort of mid-table team who are making no I don't think so I I, look I I don't listen it's going to sound really revisionist that we all start using Arsenal as the example of how you should be as a club when we sort of slated for them for their recruitment of young players. Were shocked when they stuck by Mikel Arteta time and time again. But ultimately, if Chelsea is changing as a football club and a culture, you know, you're talking about these players, Havertz, Aubameyang, you know, there's other players in the squad, big names. If they're not doing it, I'm hoping that Chelsea is now the club that gets rid of players like that and doesn't indulge them because we've seen time and time again under the old owner managers go before the players and we're watching the players underperform or not show the right attitude take big contracts not really deliver I know Chelsea is a club that has been regularly winning trophies but you could have got more out of a lot of their big stars and their recent success has been built on the back of kids out of the academy so if Chelsea are going to move forward you know for me those big stars that don't perform 
get rid of them and, not, and, and give Graham Potter the opportunity to grow as a manager like Arsenal have given uh, Mikel Arteta the opportunity to grow as a manager we know Graham Potter is not Thomas Tuchel we knew that when he got hired we know he's not Pep we know he's not Jürgen so in that case give him time give these players time to improve I just don't I, do, I just think I've said it before there needs to be messaging on that there needs to be PR on that the club needs to or the manager needs to be out saying look we, we need to take this club forward in a new direction with a new culture which is going to take time the fans need to be with us on that I, at this point in time don't think that there is a connection between what the new Chelsea might be and what the old Chelsea was I, I was going to ask you that's all fine and I get where you're coming from Hugh but to me, I look at the system and I think it's flawed by the way they are attempting to play. Mm. Forget personnel and who you get in and how great they go, how experienced or how young they are. The system that he's playing is all about everybody at the back having the ball, moving it, passing it with not much purpose. And everybody up front, when the ball is lost, which it generally is very quickly because there's not many options in forward positions, you end up defending. So defenders are playing like uh, for, sorry, forwards are playing like defenders and defenders are playing like forwards. Were we expecting to see Graham Potter's Chelsea team play like his Brighton team? I think we'd expect to see the same principles of play, yeah. And that's you know that's what we recognise. He, he does do this. He wants to build patiently from the back and sometimes even... even you know, even when Brighton were sitting safely mid-table, <laughs> the supporters were getting a wee bit... Yeah. A wee bit um, irate about kind of the lack of purpose sometimes um, but this is the way he thinks the game should be played and he thinks ultimately that you know these risks will lead to greater rewards that's what he believes he believes you dominate the ball you have less defending to do but they're they're not doing it well at the moment and it's like some of it is personnel I mean I, I think you know, that that back four yeah. trying to do that with that back four was was a big yeah. ask yeah. against Manchester City yeah um, well Brentford went, at, went and won at City recently in a Premier League game and like we touched on earlier, teams with lesser squads than Chelsea have managed to have a set a set up that made it yeah, very difficult. Yeah, and they didn't try and play out from the back. <laughs> no, they yeah. didn't but, play out at all because it's uh, not on. I think that's that's only one. I say, I say again, that's only one little thing. That's and look, he's not going to change it. That's, no, but that's what I mean. So I think we so the, slated Arteta for sticking to a football principle yeah, when it we didn't work. This, I don't remember, think he did. No, do you, do you not remember the goals that Arsenal conceded him passing the ball out from the back? Granite Xhaka against Burnley, like across the face of his own goal. You know, the times where we were saying, what on earth is Arteta doing? Go direct, be more pragmatic, be more sensible. And he, this is what I mean. He was vocal about that. He, he said, this is how we want to play football eventually we'll get it and then suddenly we see it click and we're watching Arsenal play Man City in the middle of our season a game that they didn't win all yeah. of us saying they've outplayed Pep yeah. they really should have won that game it suddenly clicks and I'm just saying look there are good players at Chelsea they have won things they have played a good style of football before but if Graham Potter has a style and he says look we just have to stick to it until it clicks I don't mind that I don't mind that this is a football coach who needs time all I'm saying is we need to know that because we are all sitting back and saying this is a win now team. It's Chelsea. Every season they're a win now team, and obviously this season they aren't. But there is no, there's no PR on that. There's no messaging on this is our year. There's no one wants to hear that. But ultimately, if you hear something positive about where the club is going, it at least alleviates the pain. I mean, there's just none of it. I listen to what you say, Hugh, and I understand. Look, Arteta lost. He was bottom of the league after three games last season and they ended up it was a gradual change and I saw them a lot of times before Christmas and I could feel things were developing but Arsenal were a very good counter-attack team as well Chelsea aren't 
They're not a good counter-attacking team. So there is your issue for me, because if you were to say Graham Potter plays this certain way, but they can attack incredibly quickly and get numbers forward and score goals, which, by the way, Brighton did brilliantly. That was Potter's team. Uh, and what De Serbi has got now, that they do that fantastically well, Brighton. But Chelsea don't have that. They really don't. They're not a good counter-attacking team. As we saw yesterday, the amount of times they broke quickly, they've ended up having to stop and then go backwards. Is there anything you currently like about Chelsea? Just... <laughs> no, I'm not. No, I... it, this, I'm just saying the, the problems you're outlining are 1 to 11. I mean, it's every facet of the team that you're just not impressed with at the moment, which is understandable. No, I'm I just, am. No, I'm just asking not... if there is no, anything that... Hugh, currently... you've not listened to me there because I've, I've not talked about personnel as in no, 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 no. I'm talking I'm about talking the style. About, yeah, yeah, the style is yeah. the problem for me. Yeah, but I'm saying yes. in defence, you don't like the style. I don't. Well, I don't. In midfield, you're not a fan of the current style and up front. Well, okay. There's a few. Well, Conor Gallagher was playing that position yesterday. That in itself was a bit of a weird one for me. Watching him play where he did for Crystal Palace and do really well, he plays in a different position. And then there is players at the back who are getting on the ball and looking for the most difficult option to try and play out of, which you've spoke about, which I understand to a degree. But if you can't do that job and you're giving the ball away regularly, which they did, and misplaced passes, you're asking for trouble in football. And they got a lot of it yesterday. Alison, last word on Chelsea. So I've got a couple of questions for you, really. Will Graham Potter survive this? All of what is going on at the moment. And then just for balance on the podcast, just your views on the Chelsea fans chanting the name of Thomas Tuchel. I... <laughs> I I un- no well I think that I think the che- what well, I think the che- well travelling tra- travelling Chelsea fans aren't representative of the broad base of fans I think they 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 they're the extreme end but I understand that they miss what they miss is the presence of Tuchel on the touchline he visibly cared and was one of the most demanding managers they've ever had in terms of how cross he got about every single tiny element of their play. And it broadly worked and he was very successful until the very end. I think they missed that. I think it's hard to adjust from that sort of manager to one who is very outwardly very relaxed. And Potter doesn't seem to connect as well with the players from the touchline. He's very calm and that can be frustrating if things aren't going well. One reason I think Potter won't go tomorrow is there was a point last week where Chelsea were just one defender away from having a team that could have won the Champions League on the treatment table. They are missing a lot of extremely good players and I I don't even think a team like Manchester City would be able to absorb those key personnel losses desperately well. The reason he might go tomorrow is your genius comes, your worth as a highly paid manager on a long contract comes from finding a way of trying to adapt when you've got that many good players out. And that comes from um, attitude and demeanour. This is the FA Cup where you get shocks because teams come, come at, believe in themselves, believe that they have more than the sum of their parts and they believe that romance and energy and passion and camaraderie will get you through. And Chelsea didn't have any of those things. So if you're missing star players, replace it with something else, replace it with attitude. Also, I think one probably the most damning thing was 
there was one half of football played in the league encounter where Chelsea were the better team against Manchester City at Stamford Bridge and they didn't build on that. How it can go downhill quite so quickly, I, I think is worrying. Fulham up next to Wife of Mine. Yeah. Yeah. Just quickly, you said in the interest of balance, you should maybe say like City were pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and like we're talking about this the wild spending spree they're doing the Chelsea are, you know, underway yeah, at the yeah. moment, all the young players in Europe. Sergio Gomez come he's hardly played in the Premier League. He looked brilliant. Mm. Alvarez, like we know of what he's done recently. But what, a lovely, tw- what a lovely smile on his face. He played with such joy, yeah. didn't he? They're both twenty two. That's the like Cup. under the radar good signings. Twenty two year olds. And then uh, mm. Cole Palmer. You know, he's been drip fed lots of minutes. Obviously, Manchester City can do this because they have such a big squad filled mm. filled with talent. They can give him, you know, games in the Champions League, or whatever. Yeah. But he seems to be. You know, he was. I thought he was really, really, really good. Really good. And Rico Lewis as well. So like, they're dripping in the academy players, and their recruitment is always spot on. And this is the result. But they're set up well as well. They all do exactly the same as what the team does with their very best team. That's what they do. They set up to a style of play. I just don't. Chelsea have had one shot on target in an FA Cup tie. That's the answer. If you're, if you're going to yeah. shoot once, it's not very unlikely you're going to score. <laughs> Listen, the, pro- the problems at Chelsea are um, well evidenced, it seems, and we'll find out what the future holds for Graham Potter. It was, as Gregor points out, a very good performance from Manchester City. Moved the ball fantastically well. Yeah, we're almost so accustomed to it that we didn't focus in on it, but I think Chelsea could well be the big story going forward as well. Um, Listen, up next, we're going to be talking about all the other stories, the big giant killings, if you like, in the FA Cup from this weekend. But remember, if you're enjoying the podcast, just hit that little bell, the notification button, and you won't miss an episode. Okay, it was a very eventful weekend in the FA Cup third round elsewhere. Um, A couple of shocks, a competition for shock of the round, if you like. Let's start with League Two Stevenage. Uh, They had a remarkable win at Premier League side Aston Villa, a full 59 places separating the two sides. Villa wasting a lot of dominance in this game. And they had almost 80% possession, 17 shots only three on target, no real attacking threat. And watching the analysis was pretty funny last night. The three centre-backs of Stevenage basically walking around with no one to mark. But it was an error, really, that let them back into the game. Let's start there, Gregor. Was it a penalty? Uh, Leander Dendonka got a red, picked up the ball under under pressure in midfield. I don't know, just a bit too um, lackadaisical on the ball. And he ended up getting tackled. Campbell was through on goal. Pulled his shirt for sure, but it started five five yards outside the box, went into the box, looked like he tripped him, but the FA confirmed that the foul was for the shirt pull. So should it have been a penalty? Not if it's for the shirt pull. Yeah. You're right, there's there's two fouls, really. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you'd almost think that Stephen has deserved a penalty for it because he continued. He was probably would have got his shot off. Um, so regardless, I think the penalty was the right decision, but that's a strange statement to put yeah, about, exactly. about about the the reasoning behind it um it was a howler that was a howler you know right of the death and then so was the second goal the oh, the, the way that Campbell horrendous. could get the ball and run into the box without anyone i think Ollie Watkins was at the front post and he was kind of like sort of waving an arm sort of like somebody sh- somebody should be closing him down i think oh yeah it's me and like <laughs> that was it too late so i just, i was watching i kind of thought that when the first goal went in, I, I thought, yeah, you know, I've probably been on that, not not in an Aston Villa <laughs> side, but I've been the side who've kind of conceded. He's like, oh God, we've got to go, we're gonna to have to go back to, <laughs> to play them at Stevenage, and their heads will have just completely crumbled. And I think that's probably 
partly by why Steenridge managed to get get the second as well, um, which means keep replays. You know, there's always this talk about scrapping replays. Replays are a big. I think there's a big part of the kind of psychology of. I mean, this is a topic. It was, so, it was so eventful this weekend that I thought, and and this news was on Thursday last week. I thought, should we discuss the new deal for football, if you like, which included possibly scrapping FA yeah. Cup replays? I mean, I would scrap FA Cup replays. Why? Because of the schedule. For who? Well, for everyone. I mean, it's not like no. Stevenage don't have a lot of games this season. Yeah, but they take the money for the replay. But my point on this has always been that if you scrap the replays, you give the, the smaller teams, if you like, the ability to choose to go away to the big stadium so they can get that income, that, that big money, um, that big money game at the bigger stadium. That means more money down the pyramid. That's, the, that's my justification for it. I'm not anti-replays I just think it, and I, I see it coming down the road you know they'll take a knife to, to football wherever they can if we're going to lose the FL Cup completely I'd rather we scrapped FA Cup replays and still have that tournament and we just give teams a chance if if Stevenage which they were drawn away at Aston Villa but had it been the other way around had Stevenage been drawn at home to Aston Villa if they had 24 hours to say to the FA look we'd like this game to be played at Villa Park and then Aston Villa are then given the chance to say, yeah, we'll, we'll host them. That's so what's, the point, what's the point of like... the draw then? It's just... Can, can I just... Well, it draws the fixture, doesn't it? Well... Yeah, it ruins it, <laughs> ruins, ruins it. That, that happens in France, in uh, Coupe de France, that if you're separated more, by more than one division, so like Stephen, yes, obviously mm. from the Premier League is two divisions, it's a, it's a separation of, of three uh, spots, if you like, um, you, you would have the home tie. Even if you were drawn away, but you had the option of going to the away team, the bigger team. Yeah, and lots of clubs chose that option. Yeah. Now, the only thing I would say to this replay malarkey, I, <laughs> I, if you can have a World Cup final that doesn't have a replay, why would it be such a problem for an FA Cup tie? Not to, you know, for yeah. me, it's like it's daft having replays. Get the game settled, whether it's by penalties. I'm. I know there's a lot of nostalgia. I played Gillingham against Everton many moons ago. We had three games against Everton. We had a replay back at Priestfield, and then the game was drawn, and we had a third game. Okay, and that to me was great at that time. But the modern game can't keep having so many games. I think it's just way too many football matches. The modern game can't for for half a dozen clubs who play in Europe. Mm. So I, again, I, I just but hold on a minute. At... Hold on a minute. Half a dozen clubs that, in terms of the money in these competitions, in terms of the lure of the broadcasters and us watching at home, and globally as well, basically fund the competition. Yeah, if they're not in it, yeah. it doesn't really exist. And they hoard fifty players each. I, 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 listen, we play can, your, play we, we can, we can argue that. We can argue that. Well, we, no, because if they play their kids again, the broadcasters say that's fine, but we're not going to give you anywhere near as, as much money okay. for it, and they just get richer and richer and richer. Because they're going to be off in this, whatever the Super League is or 10 Champions League games making loads of money because everyone's going to be watching that. So it's, it, you need a strong, you need Liverpool and Manchester United to, to put strong teams out in this competition if the money is going to stay in it. The co competition might survive, but ultimately, are you going to be watching Liverpool's under-21s against Wolves' under-21s probably? No, but Liverpool do make changes. The, the, the biggest clubs do make changes. Aston Villa didn't. Like, they didn't have to. So, like, we're totally talking, we are talking about I said half a dozen, it's maybe four. It's maybe three at this time of the year, if a couple go out. So we're changing the whole, ripping it all up for three clubs, three or four clubs. It's just nonsense for me. I think it's an important part of the psychology of, it's what part of what makes it unique. Like if you've got, if you're holding on to bring your, bring a, you know, a lofty club back to, 
to Stevenage's little little stadium <laughs> on a freezing cold Tuesday night in, in January. That's magic, and they've got another. another they've got another, also a chance of of making a lot of money and winning. But you might just be holding on for ninety minutes in a penalty shootout in which you knock them out. Why hold on for another game? I don't get it. I mean, also, like I said, if you've already gone away from home to gain as much money as you can from the ticket revenue, I get it. The replays usually get more media attention because there are fewer games on that night. And obviously, if you're a small club, you've taken a big club to a replay. A lot of people will be watching that on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. But I just think for the longevity of the competition, these arguments will persist. Mm. You need to come up with a remedy. Anyway, Steve just didn't, didn't need to replay, did they? We're <laughs> <laughs> going off piece a little bit there. And it was brilliant. I mean, that's there were magic scenes, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And Steve, anyone, I would urge them to read uh, Johnny Northcroft's interview with Steve Evans in the Sunday Times this weekend. It was absolutely brilliant. Some great anecdotes and stories. He's the ultimate, you know, love him or hate him character. Most people hate him, let's be honest. <laughs> and Steve Evans was honest about that as well. <laughs> there was a really lovely kind of touching story about, you know, conversation with his dad and on his deathbed and his dad was saying, you know, what can I say about you, son? <laughs> like, <laughs> once people get to know you, they love you, but like, even he was inferring on his deathbed that <laughs> a lot of people don't. <laughs> so it was, um, I would urge anyone to, to, to see that. But Steve Evans has you know, had some some uh, some great moments in the cup and I think he's admitted this was his, his biggest. Don't ask the Gillingham fan about him. <laughs> we won't, we won't. Got to say, um, it was great scenes to watch them celebrate with, again, you mentioned so many fans at Villa Park. Um, eight straight defeats for Aston Villa in the FA Cup. Honestly, for any Premier League side, that is... In the third well, round. isn't this... Isn't no, this one was in the fourth weird? round. They got knocked out in the fourth round and then the last seven years they've been knocked okay, out in the third yeah, round. Because okay, yeah. we sometimes on this podcast, we do talk about, you know, what what makes a club? Is it the manager? Or is it the fans? Is it the owner? What makes a club? But clubs do have some sort of intrinsic personality, don't they? So you've got a club like Villa who can't get to get grips in the FA Cup. QPR doesn't matter who they play in the third round they will go out of the FA Cup <laughs> Newcastle United have been desperate in those years when any any success in the league were clearly beyond them they would put a lot of effort into the cup competitions can't do it they can't do it and so Aston Villa have this poor record and they bring in one of the greatest cup managers in modern history and he can't do it either because it's not the club isn't about maybe one day if they keep him Emery the club will become synonymous with Emery but at the moment Villa, the the entity that is Villa is bigger than any one individual it's 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 like it seeps through the brickwork or something that they can't they cannot do it in the cup competition no. Leeds as well isn't there Leeds have had a pretty dreadful cup run uh, in recent years I can remember them getting smashed at Crawley for nil not so long ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, listen, I think um, Stevenage fans are going to hold on to that into the next round. Um, delighted for them. The competition for shock of the round, I wanted to talk to you, Alison, about this, came from National League side Wrexham, who knocked championship side Coventry City out of the FA Cup. Uh, they're in the fourth round for the first time since the year 2000. Phil Parkinson's side, I, we, I think we all saw them ride their luck. Loads of late chances for Coventry. In the end, you need some luck, don't you, if you're going to cause a shock in the FA Cup. 4-1 up as well at one stage. Um, and they made it 17 games without defeat. So clearly there is positivity there. But I looked at this result quite philosophically. Mm. And I wondered if you were in the same camp. Uh, it doesn't. It didn't have the same joy 
that a National League side beating Coventry City would have otherwise had in previous years because of the, oh, the Hollywood owners will be absolutely delighted. <laughs> oh, I wonder, oh, look at this tweet from Ryan Reynolds who said, oh, he swore. And, he, and I was just like, look, you know, there's part of me that, look, yeah, we all want to see football one way. I spoke about the World Cup and that sort of... Um, you know, that high level, shiny glitziness of the World Cup experience that was kind of quite strange for me. But it is the same. Like, Wrexham on any other day doing this, I would have just been absolutely delighted immediately. Wouldn't even have to think about it. But suddenly I was like, oh, this will be great for the Netflix series, won't it? That, that was my initial reaction. I was just like, they're absolutely loving this. And then I was watching some of the reaction of the pundits, you know, on the on the highlights and on, on listening to radio shows and stuff. Um and sort of everyone was just like, absolutely. It was it was just a strange happiness to it that didn't make sense. It, there's something more in... You obviously, you, you maybe don't agree with this. There is something more endearing about this than clearly than like no, but, an but, investment but, fund but, but, or a sovereign wealth no, 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 fund no, no. the football Yes, club. yes, I totally so agree like, with you. But it is still in that category for me because when you hear people saying like, and this was the thing that really grated me, well, this is what you really want from your owners. There was lots of praise for the owners. The owners, this is what you want. People who, who are going to invest in a football club and build up something in the community. And I totally agree with that. But do people think that they came from Hollywood to Wrexham because they cared about the community? Oh, there's a load of sycophancy. It's ridiculous. It, it, because no, but they because do- they're not, because Gregor, they're not an investment bank. With, you don't know what they look like or sound like or how witty they might be in their boardroom meetings. You don't know. But we feel, as p- human beings feel, and it's a bit sad that this happens, but people feel they know famous people, that they, they know what mm. makes them tick and they identify with them. And so if you... What the downside to being very famous is is that if you go and walk down your local high street, people will talk to you as if they're your, your friend, and you is can't that, be is anonymous. That you, is that what you find? Indeed, <laughs> and 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 it's that's the payoff for being famous. People think they know you, so people think they know the Wrexham owners because they're witty and they're famous and they're on telly, and they don't. And that whole. Uh, Netflix. It's not on Netflix. It's on Disney. Oh, oh sorry, sorry, sorry. It's, um, that whole series. Disney. That whole series. They actually perpetuate that persona. Uh, it's a. They're, they're not really themselves. You feel even when they're trying to be themselves, they're not. It's no, about. It's about entertainment. Absolutely. It's about one-liners. It's, it's about, about saying a clever joke about not being able to say something in Welsh. You know that joke yeah. is done to death because the Welsh language is very funny. And if Ryan Reynolds tries to say something in Welsh, well, that's extra funny, isn't it? Because he's actually quite handsome and always so witty. It's, it is it is very different from it being an anonymous investment bank, but it, 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 in a different way, it is slightly overly saccharine. I, I think I think look, it's the reason they bought the club is to is to tell a story, and they're part of the story clearly, and money making will be a byproduct of that. Although. They're not going to make money in the short term, but I don't think they're there to make money from the football club. Well, they will make money. Disney Plus, I imagine, will have made them some money. Yeah, but a lot of it was <laughs> going back into the club in the early days. Yeah, because, so, it, t- because uh, it helps them tell a story, and if yeah, you're going up yeah. and up and up, it's a wonderful but story. If, if the reason of two people bought a football club, if the reason they did, did so was to tell a story, and you know, there's a big uplift in the area for, as a result. Yeah. 
I'm 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 okay with no, that. I'm absolutely okay but, with but that. This is my point because we talk about owners in football who don't have a genuine love for a football club or don't have a genuine love for football who are in it to make a short-term profit and they, that's led to clubs going the other direction some out of business and we criticize those people so heavily and in my heart of hearts and we'll get back to the football in a second and, and praise Wrexham because it, you know it's 11 versus 11 they were fantastic but ultimately what happens when if if no one watches this and it gets cancelled from Disney Plus they just say, all right, time to sell the football club. We've been spending and spending and spending. Hopefully, Wrexham aren't in debt, any sort of debt at, at that point in time, and they leave them in a good financial place. But then what is an, what's the new owner's interest? Is it someone that's just watched them on, a bit like what happened at Sunderland, someone that's watched them on Disney Plus who goes, I'd, I'd buy that football club. But actually, they have no idea what they're doing. Look, look we've got to be careful on owners because no one really knows what their idea is or what their... Look, money's... <laughs> Is it illegal to buy clubs and make money? It feels like the modern world is illegal to make money and everyone questions that. Look, Gillingham have got a new owner as well. Mm. And they've been yeah. desperate for years to try and get a new owner. The excitement of but having I, one with a new enthusiasm, a new drive. But I'm scared of that as well. Well... Because I went and I had, had a quick quick look and someone said to me, what do you think of the new Gillingham owner? And I genuinely said, I haven't done much research, but it wouldn't surprise me if they're in real estate. Yeah, which... Yeah, and I is, went, yeah. let me just have a quick look. And I Googled it, their name in front of the person that asked me what I thought. And I went, oh, they are in real estate. You see what I mean? Yeah, but- and that does... what I'm not saying that there's this owner has, you know, ideals of building, dealing them up, you know, selling the ground or anything like that and turn it into flats or anything like that. I'm not saying that. You can just be in, you can be in real estate and still want to buy a football club and do all the right things. But obviously, we've seen that before in football. Yeah. And we've seen people who actually go, well, I'm going to sell the ground to my holding company, my real estate firm. And then suddenly they, they want to sell the football club in five years' time, but, oh, I own the ground. And then, you know, Gillingham needs to find a new... And the, I'm not saying this is going to happen at Gillingham, but we've seen it dozens of times already in the Football League. The, the thing, The thing you're saying about like you actually look at the top three in the in the National League just now and you know there, there is this perception just now obviously the FA Cup does this everybody's going oh you know plucky little National League clubs going to the way to the Championship Club and one this is you know it's so warm and fuzzy Notts County are owned by like data entrepreneurs very wealthy guys who supply the betting industry with, with numbers and you mm. know Whatever I don't even know how they do it, but they make a lot of money doing so. Two Danish brothers, Reed's brothers, Wrexham number two. We know all about Chesterfield. I've been through the the boom and bust. They fell from League One to the National League under one guy called Dave Allen, who owned casinos and stuff in in Sheffield and the dog tracks and whatnot. And now they're supporter owned. So like the top three in in the, the National League is a snapshot of like English football. I think you see a club who have been have been through the mill and now the fans have dug them out of it you see hmm. American Hollywood interest in a, in a fifth tier club because that's how great this you know the pyramid is in England and you see like two kind of smart entrepreneurs who are, who are uh, thinking that they know how, they know how to kind of break football um, but this is this is the way it is now <laughs> this is the way English football is this is like attracts all sorts and you really are at the whims Look at look, you know. Think about Liverpool and Man United and all these clubs now who are up for sale. You know, Liverpool have been through this period of such great success, and who knows who's going to take over? They're losing, losing key figures at the top end of the club. Who knows what the future holds now? Simply because there's going to be a new a new owner at the helm, I and mean, like we don't know what their motives are. We don't know where they're um, getting their money from. Yeah, yeah. Look, yeah. this, but this is it. Football is but it. I, think, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, Hugh, but I. Is it? Are you uncomfortable, or are you less joyous about the upset that 
Wrexham executed because it's a bit like the Truman Show. It doesn't feel real because it's being real. made for entertainment. But the, well, listen, they, I, did, they didn't buy Wrexham because they understood I, Wrexham no, or they understood football. I, they they no, liked they liked say, fly on the wall documentaries can I, can I, about football. Exactly that. No, can I just say this is this is the moment it hit me. I had the smile on my face as soon as the goal hit the back of the net, and then the goal scorer turned around and they had TikTok on their shirt. And I was like, that's Wrexham in the National League. They're sponsored by the, probably the biggest social yeah, media app in the world. Expedia, all sorts. <laughs> now, this is... it, yeah, but you're, an Expedia on the back of their shit. Why not take advantage of it? No, but, but I, exactly. no, I, listen, I'm not saying these things are bad for Wrexham, but it shows you that it should be the local brewery. Like in my oh, football... No, no, no. Listen, in my football mind, that's who sponsors Wrexham. You know, like a, a local business because it's the fifth tier of English football, and you go along, and the players are sponsored I've, by local companies. And when I've they just score, you, outlined that that's no, not the case, no, even I, in the National League. No, I, I know that. I know that. Can I I'm just saying say that in my here. mind, that's what I expected to see, and that's why it jarred. I'm not saying that I have an issue with with all of those things being given to Wrexham. If they fly up the leagues and they have great owners, that is great for football and they're invested in. And the football club, which has so many fans and has been at a much higher level. That's fine. That's great for the football club. I'm just saying that in terms of the magic of the FA Cup, it didn't feel like the magic wand of the FA Cup had been whisked over Wrexham. It felt like the magic wand of Hollywood had. Can I just add one thing that's really important to me on all this? I've been in the game over 40 years. And by the way, in the past, there was a lot of dodgy owners. Right? <laughs> these are these guys aren't dodgy. No, I'm not saying we they actually are. know where they got but their money from. The, the past will tell you that there was a lot of going, a lot of things going on at football clubs that were pretty serious. Okay, and we're look, we're talking now about whether TikTok have the right to uh, uh, sponsor Wrexham. Delighted for them. It's better TikTok, you know, put all their money into some club that probably needs it a bit more. And there are many other clubs lower down the pyramid who would love to have t- TikTok. Yeah, I don't yeah. care. Whoever get, if they get the right to get the contract and they want to do it, fine. Okay. I think also it was a humdinger of a game, this, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah and in that. this country, though, we 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 are a bit snobby about the how visible owners are. We don't like it. We don't. I mean, we don't. And they're very visible, the owners of Wrexham, and we don't like that. And that, I think that is a form of snobbery. Inverted mm. snobbery, perhaps. I, I, listen. A football snob, I'm, I'm very proud of that. Yeah, I, you say I, that I, frequently. I <laughs> Go ahead. No, I'm, look, I, I kind of agree. I'd like, I know that the, the, you said the reason they bought the, bought the club was not anything to do with Wrexham. I've spoken to the guy who helped them choose. He, you know, Macclesfield was one because they were down in, down in the luck. They, looked, they saw a club and they liked the fact that they almost, you know, they were from another country too. And it's like an old mining town and like, you know, down in the luck. It's just a perfect story. So, but that's a that is a reason to buy a club is infinitely better than the than the some of the reasons that we see for clubs being bought by other people. And, well, hedge and, fans and, and if, are... whether you know whether they didn't want to, but you know, it wasn't anything to do with Wrexham or not. They might still have bought the club, and they might start to fall in love with Wrexham. They might not. It might be completely that might be completely like part of the show. Yeah. We might be sold that. I might be a mug, but I think that anyone. Who goes and like immerses themselves in a in a football club at that level and sees the kind of devotion of the fans will fall in love with them. Um, the game was four three and Wrexham won. Yeah, I was going to say pretty good performance <laughs> from Wrexham in that game. Rode their luck late on. 
in a football sense, they deserve big credit for this weekend. And Gregor, they weren't the only non-league side showing us quality this weekend. You mentioned Chesterfield, yeah. who probably should have beaten West Brom. Brandon Thomas Asante heading in a 93rd minute equaliser. After that, Many that, felt, yeah, he should yeah. have been sent off. He did swing an elbow. I imagine he will get suspended once the FA takes a look at that because it was totally missed by the officials. And obviously he went on to score the equaliser. Did you think it was a red? And also... Like I say, another non-league side showing us that quality. Yeah, I think it probably was a red, but again, this is one that you have to be, you have to var. <laughs> Let's not go down that again. And yeah, absolutely. But this is another club who, you know, that even Chesterfield fan, don't fan on, have just said that they they shouldn't really be at this level. There's always that, you know, the conversation about this is a plucky little club. This is a club that was in League One until, you know, a guy who uh, bumped a lot of money and decided not to anymore, and they fell fell uh, very quickly. So, you know. It was a great result, and it's still a massive achievement to to you know be on the verge of beating a championship side. They were in great form as well with Brom, but Chesterfield have you know been a been a force at a higher level in the past. So, and also they've got great cup pedigree. Yep, Boreham Wood this weekend as well. One all draw with Accrington. Forty one league places separating the National League side and the League One team Stanley. Uh, one all at Meadow Park. Boreham Wood lowest ranked team left aiming to repeat their run to the fifth round of last year Luke Garrard's side basically all about hunger and commitment that's what he had to say afterwards and look if they can get past that Grinton Stanley probably could have done it then who knows who knows what they can do again this year elsewhere in the FA Cup Sheffield Wednesday 2 Newcastle 1 League One side Sheffield Wednesday um, knocking out the team that's third in the Premier League I've got to say Josh Windass fantastic mm. could have had a hat-trick hitting the crossbar with a basically a 40-yard free kick memorable win for the Owls but we've got to talk about Eddie Howe in the FA Cup okay because even though it's a first defeat for Newcastle since the 31st of August his personal FA Cup record is 11 okay tie victories in 14 years as a manager, seven of those, he was in the Premier League. He's been knocked out by lower league opposition four times. Both seasons at Newcastle, Cambridge at this point last year. And this time he's been knocked out by Sheffield Wednesday. So credit to Sheffield Wednesday if you want to start with a positive. But um, but Newcastle United should be taking competitions like this more seriously, shouldn't they? He said afterwards, well, yeah, it's hindsight. Maybe we should have picked a stronger team, but we felt like we would have won with the team that we picked. But also it's like, well, it's Newcastle. You've got to set the tone of a winning culture, don't you? Yeah, well, I would say, Hugh, I watched the game and I thought Newcastle, you can't question the commitment, the desire, um, quality of player. Yeah, OK, could have made a, a few changes. He did by the end and Sheffield Wednesday were hanging on. And what I loved about the game and... You know, just talk about Josh Windass with the lad playing alongside him as well, Michael Smith, who scored a lot of goals at Rotherham. The two of them called, uh, caused Botman a lot of problems. Have you ever asked Sven Botman at the end of the season in his hardest battle during the season? He'll probably say, little Michael Smith at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, been around the block, journeyman, 31 years old. I thought that was a big standout feature. And Sheffield Wednesday under Darren Moore went quite brave, two up front. Um... I, I can't question Newcastle's commitment because I thought they, they kept going and kept going. By the end, they were a little bit unfortunate not to get an equaliser. Um, Eddie Howe's record, I don't think matters too much because of what they're doing in the Premier League this season. And yes, Newcastle fans would love a cup run, I'm sure. But um, I say the big but. It's all about um, what they do. And if they make the Champions League at the end of the season, 
few questions. From I remember there. having this conversation with when Eddie Howe was the, the Bournemouth manager, but it's always, you know, they just desperately want to stay in the Premier League. That's one of the, I think Newcastle made eight changes there. Bournemouth would have made the same in all those those seasons you're, you're uh, referencing. That's just the, the kind of way it is. That's the landscape. But quickly on Michael Smith, I interviewed Michael Smith on Friday. He's a massive Newcastle fan. <laughs> like, his whole Shout. family are, you know, he said my whole family are black and white. He used to go down to the training ground and stand on his bike to peer over the fence to watch watch them train. He said he's got, there was a story about it, Rotherham uh, last season, he, he had a bet with Richie Barker, the assistant manager, that he'd get 25 goals. And if he did, Richie Barker would give him his prized possession, which was a signed Alan Shearer, worn Alan Shearer shirt. And he scored 25, but five were in the Papa John's trophy, so he didn't give him it. <laughs> so the Rotherham fans clubbed together and they bought him a signed strip and uh, and then he left for Sheffield Wednesday, so they're a bit me about that. But he, I had a conversation with him, because this, this fascinates me, talking about how he played against Botman. He's saying, you know, you're looking forward to going up against a £35 million defender and, you know, what's the... You know, the margins are often fine. And he's like, I, you know, I cannot wait because... I just want to see how he moves, how I can, you know, what I can do against them. And as Tony said, you know, the margins did look very fine on this occasion. And it's like the FA Cup is, that's what this does as well for yeah. players. It's, an, it's a chance to sort of prove that you at your best can compete with, you know, the best in the Premier League as well. But Newcastle have been successful this season, partly because they are, or it seems odd to say it now and look at the league but it's been partly because they act like the underdogs in most of the matches they play they use effort and passion and don't take anything for granted they it's don't get it, goals too they're just very they have that mindset of we know people don't expect us to be here and we know we're going to have to earn every single point we get and to maintain that mindset when you're playing a team so far below you in the put pyramid, it must be difficult to maintain that level of let's show them because it was the opposition who did the let's show them this time around. They, they, I know, Tony, you're right that it wasn't that Newcastle were dreadful or anything, but the team that gave most effort and had more stories, more reasons to mm. want to want to win, if you like, was Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah, that's why we love the cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there, there was more all the, all the qualities you see from Newcastle week in week out. You saw from their opposition this time around. Okay, yeah. all right. Okay, well, Eddie Howe moving on to an EFL Cup quarter final with Leicester on Tuesday. He said he needed to protect his small squad. Quote. So uh, we'll see the strength of the team he puts out in the quarter final of the EFL Cup. Uh, another Premier League side, though, uh, knocked out by a team beneath them in terms of the league standings was Nottingham Forest Championship strugglers Blackpool thrashing them four goals to one uh, Michael Appleton's side in the relegation zone uh, in the championship comfortable winners Forrest missing a number of chances at Bloomfield Road Sam Surridge won't want to watch the highlights back <laughs> of this one 11 changes for Steve Cooper the Forest boss he said his players accepted defeat too easily blaming the players how much responsibility is on him what do you think well this is what happens when you when players he's got a lot of players to juggle hasn't he right so the players he doesn't he's, he, and we're starting to see a pattern from him in terms of what he wants the forest side to be so if you get a whole clutch of them who know they're not his first choice oh well this is and in a way what you're saying is by playing in the cup game against non-glamorous opposition you're underlining the fact that you're not really in his plans for 
for the league. And it just means you get this collective sense of, oh, well, we're not rated really, are we? And that's why you're going to look like you don't care. It's subtle. So it's probably a few percentage points in terms of of that sense of gelling as a team. But they know they're not his first choice. And he's that they haven't got they haven't got any incentive. So it was up to him, it was up to Cooper to acknowledge that. And you see it a lot in the cup that there's sort of there are some changes made and you think, oh well the manager knows if he brings in that player, he will he'll you know, he'll he'll dovetail well with that back three or back four, whatever. If you make a wholesale change, you're and you haven't really worked with them. I can't assume he's worked with them as an eleven for very much. It's it's to to me that's not not really a shock that they did badly because what do you, I mean you know they they're not going to be that motivated. Alison's bang on the psychology of of the kind of team selection is is uh, is very interesting in FA Cup games. You'd imagine that you know these players come in thinking oh, we've got a point to prove you know put in a good shift and I may get a sh-. It, it's rarely the case. It's like oh, yeah this kind of underlines my status and I'm going up to play Blackpool away and you know. In, in January, uh, that it, you know it shouldn't be from the outside fans, particularly who travel up there and watch the game. We shouldn't, you know, wouldn't expect that. But that's that's the kind of nature of of the psychology of, of where you are in the sort of pecking order of the team. And I think this, as Ali says, was was a, a prime example of that. And uh, Paveda in particular punished them. Yeah, he was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Great finishes. Only yeah. twenty two, isn't he? Yeah, Very yeah, yeah. Very good pedigree. Very good pedigree. Excellent performance from him. Great performance from Blackpool. Uh, Ugo marching on, who knows, could have a run. Would take the uh, eye off their league status at the moment and maybe put some positivity into their championship campaign. Anyway, another side in the championship. The leaders, Burnley, put on another positive display. We're getting used to it, aren't we? Uh, They won 4-2 at Premier League side Bournemouth. That result putting pressure on the Bournemouth boss, Gary O'Neill. Nine defeats in 11 for him now. But it isn't actually a huge shock, this one, is it? Given the way that the two sides have been playing recently, I think most people thought Burnley would would get a, at least a draw out of this game. And look, there is a golden rule, Hugh, isn't there? If you, it doesn't matter what division you're in, but if you're if you're at the top of the division you're in and you're playing a team higher up the pyramid, who's at the bottom <laughs> end of their division, that you will get a, a fairly even contest. Yeah, well, this wasn't a fairly even contest. No, Burnley, well, <laughs> I, I, at minimum, you get a fairly even contest. Do you know? Do you know what? There's sometimes you watch football, and you've got to be really careful about the idea of playing. And we talked earlier at the very start of the show about playing out from the back. Oh. Well, Bournemouth's well, Bournemouth's yeah. attempts to try and play out in ridiculous situations. Three goals uh, were gifts. Yeah, actual. Gift. You might as well have said, "Here's a chance. You see if you take it." Because they attempted some of the craziest play I saw this weekend was at the Vitality, and it was by Bournemouth. Burnley gave, you know, in fairness, I think the first three goals were all examples of teams trying to play from the back and mm. then backfiring. But Bournemouth, you know, when O'Neill got got the job or you know, on an interim basis, first thing he did was shore up the defence, and, and I think they went six games unbeaten. And now it's it's a calamity again. I did a piece just before, kind of looking at the relegation picture, and I think. In six of their previous eight games, they've conceded between two and four goals. So you can chalk that up to seven and nine now. Um, you've got no chance. Mm. You concede two between two and four goals a game, you're down. So like, mm. either he needs to change that, or I think possibly he'll be changed. Yeah, I think that could easily happen at Bournemouth. Um, for him, I hope things turn around, but not playing well at the moment. And Burnley, I think we it's almost like you can 
stop the count. I think a lot of a lot of bookmakers will be paying out on them uh, coming up to the Premier League if they continue this form in the Championship for much longer. Anyway, one final point on today's podcast I wanted to raise. We had a very entertaining game at Anfield. Um, Liverpool 2, Wolves 2. But it, it had a couple of moments for us to analyse and dissect. Um, offside rules were severely tested. Maybe not the law. We're tested with the second one, but Mo Salah did test the rules. He was off, then he was on. Gregor, what do you think? Was that offside? I just, I just look at it from the defender's point of view, and I can't, I can't fathom what he, what he is expected to do in that situation. All, all the thought processes that have to go around in your mind in that split second, or even if you call it a couple of seconds, and the ball's in the air, to judge whether you can get enough on the ball to judge whether you can, you can leave it so he's offside it's ludicrous mm. it's ludicrous so for me how that can be the start of a new phase of play is also ludicrous mm. and so, a, yeah. deliberate, a deliberate play of the ball which is what Greg is talking about plays Salah onside and he hasn't really got a choice. You can't just leave balls, can well, you? Well, he could, but, well, he but could, you can't but think of that in, no. in, such, in such a short space of time. Well, and how you can expect him to think about that is, is what, ludicrous. What I find it really weird is that for other offsides, we use this phrase, was he or was she interfering with play? That's also Where, say, ludicrous. No, but, no, not necessarily. Say <laughs> it's from my point of view. Yeah, but say you're standing offside and the ball is not played to you, but it's played in your direction but it goes to a player maybe at the back post, you're at the front post, they head it in, you know, everyone defended the situation in the same way. You were just in between the ball and the player that received it. Everyone would say, well, that didn't interfere with the play at all. It didn't obstruct the goalkeeper. No one was marking that player. They might have been down injured, you know. That didn't interfere with play. It's become our, our common vernacular. Interestingly, Salah, Salah being offside clearly interferes with play because the defender only makes that header because they know Salah is there. And the only other thing they can do is leave the ball and hope that with VAR in the game, oh, hopefully if there's an, if they were an inch offside, it'll get picked up. You can't do but that. You can't do that. Defender. Yeah, I was about to say, you just can't do that. You have to try and defend the situation. The fact that the ball is clearly played to Salah because there's no one else in the, in the vicinity at all and he is offside and it eventually comes to him. It cannot be, I say eventually, I mean, it's just one wayward header. It cannot be anything other than offside. Then for the Wolves fans <laughs> to hear that the same player, the defender, um, Totti, could have scored a winner in the game, uh, a would-be winner that was chalked off as there was no definitive camera angle for VAR to judge if Mateus Nunes was on or off. Will great. I have to say, though, watching the images, I think he probably was off. Um, because there is one image where he's very close to the line where he's just taken the corner and he's virtually in line with Allison. He's only a few yards out from his goal. And if you if you compute that with the other angles you've got, you're thinking, yeah, he probably was offside. But that being said, you know, we've come to want it confirmed. We want to see the line. We want to see the image, particularly if it's a goal of that magnitude. So I can totally understand why the Wolves fans would feel aggrieved. Was that on or off? I mean, does anyone have an opinion on whether they think... So vague. The whole idea is just so vague. I don't know how we can give decisions on grey areas that are... Well, I just found it amazing. I mean, what bothered me more, that Liverpool, again, from a set piece, have looked in trouble. I just can't believe there was no camera angle. No, well, that's I find what that Peter, to Peter be... Walt, Peter Walter's written about in the Times today saying that comes into money. You need to invest in more, you know, in, in more comprehensive camera coverage it, it, it really is that, that's Just, what it come, comes down to which I is mean, bizarre no but I mean when it comes to VAR how many corner takers are offside 
often that someone heads the ball at the front post and it goes back to the straight back to the corner taker and they're offside. It happens so often that I cannot believe there is there was no camera angle for that. You know, I, that's what I mean. It's just like, well, clearly they are the person who is nearest to the goal. They've just taken the corner. They take one step away from the corner flag. They're likely to be the player closest to the goal. VA, there should be a camera shot of the player closest to the goal at all times. You're there to judge the offside. That is what I didn't understand. Clearly, there should be a camera angle there. So I can listen, like I say, in my heart of hearts, I think he would have been half a yard offside. But I don't know because I didn't see the camera angle. And I just found that. But we've just said how much we've enjoyed the ties where there was no VAR. So... Yeah, and I would have enjoyed this time more seeing Liverpool get knocked out, and I wouldn't. Have, <laughs> no, I would but have been... <laughs> because because but because VAR was faulty, they went with the on-field decision, which was offside. Yeah, the linesman. Yeah. The linesman. Yeah. So you want to say? So it, it was old. It was old school. It was, it was old, old school, school decision making. But it is. It is pathetic that we think VAR is magic and it's not magic it's not only is it human when it's down to the technology that doesn't even have that properly either so what we learn at Anfield is the law is an ass technology is rubbish should be out of the game just get rid of all of it to be perfectly honest but I do want to quickly say Liverpool fans in the room are you feeling okay with how things are going Darwin Nunez scored a goal I think, it was the goal. I think it was the goal of the third round it was the most beautiful pass from Trent and lovely no it was lovely it was breathtaking (laughs) I think anyone would have enjoyed it but there's just Liverpool have gone from being the team that shone a light on how you can play intense football press 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 be sharp be ready for the turnovers and they're not they're, they're being out fought too often Mm, I've gone from press press to depress watching them (laughs) honestly um there's one big thing for me, and as a fabulous as player as he is, the Thiago position is a problem. Because if you go past him, which teams do quite regularly, because we all know he's the most gifted player, or one of the most gifted players I've ever seen. But that position is a problem for Liverpool because they are conceding chance after chance regularly where they're going through the middle of the pitch and it isn't the three midfielders of before that won the ball back. They are desperate for... If you can do anything, play Thiago a bit further up. Don't yeah, play I was going to say that exact thing. A bit further up. Don't what what happened to Fabinho being at the base and making tackles and being hard yeah. to get by and then winning it, giving it to Thiago who's a little bit higher up and he can he can play from there? I think Liverpool need to go back to that. I know Fabinho hasn't been either. He's been injured or not in great form, but they definitely need a recipe in that area. Paul Joyce said in his piece today that they've got the worst shot conversion rate in the league and they've given up the most big chances. Yeah, so like we see it every week. problems in both ends. It's not, it's not a quick no. fix, really. Is it? And, and Dyke, right, is Virgil Van Dijk being out for a while as well. Uh, yeah. Okay, but let's look at. Leeds won at Anfield 2-1. Leicester lost at Anfield, unluckily, with two own goals, and they played well enough and had chances to win the game. And you've just seen Wolves do a similar thing in the FA Cup. I've watched the Napoli game probably three times this season. Now they got battered away from home. I've watched Fulham away. and I, This has been a common theme. Brentford away. And you're saying about giving up most chances. You don't even have to go on the computer and guess who, who, who might it be. Well, I watched Liverpool week in, week out. Give up. Give up. Loads of chances. Yeah. Okay. What's the recipe? What's the answer? Well, clop you, out, you clop out. No, I, I think <laughs> you've basically got to build the base of the team in the midfield back to the the ball winning team yeah. that had incredible talent to make the difference. No one's got. A, you know, we're not going to raise our eyebrows at Liverpool scoring goals. They're mm. going to score goals. Mm. It's whether they outscore the opposition now. 
Okay. All right. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed this podcast. Some some strong words, but um, I think we're all friends after this. Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, Gregor Robertson, thank you very much. More FA Cup podcasts. That's my takeaway from this. Thank you all for listening. Um, if you want to read some of the great articles uh, that the guys have been discussing in the podcast, you can check that out on the Times app. Download that wherever you get your apps from. And you can subscribe to the game as well. Check it out online. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game. We will see you on Thursday. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.